The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator. You're all going to know him well. And you're all going to be as excited as I am. So we'll get right to it. Today, we're joined by Colin Hung, Vice President of Marketing for Stericycle Communication Solutions. And Colin is also the co-founder of Healthcare Leader, Pound HCLDR, the healthcare leadership community on social media. Colin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. Well, thanks so much for making the time. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Sure thing. So by way of background, I've been in healthcare IT for the last 15 years with a variety of small entrepreneurial companies. And back about 15 years ago, I got bitten by that healthcare bug and it became the industry that I really wanted to focus on because I just see the tremendous opportunity for growth and for actually just innovation in a space that really hasn't been known for innovation over the last little while. So about 15 years ago, I started with a small entrepreneurial company and kind of grew with them and have grown with a bunch of companies since then. And then the last one I was at, called Patient Prompt, was acquired by a large organization called Stericycle. And that happened about two years ago. And since then, I've been part of Stericycle Communication Solutions, which is a division of the very large Stericycle Corporation. And we focus primarily on improving patient-to-provider communications and also between customers and companies. So we really focus in that area around improving communication via email, voice, text, as well as some online capabilities through apps and other things. So it's improving patient-to-provider communications. Is it the other way around as well? Yes, it is, Joe. Our company does communications for both providers to patients as well as patients to providers. Most of the time, what we do is actually providing and distributing information that the providers want to get into the hands of patients. So that's everything from appointment reminders to scheduling appointments, anything like that, but also providing a mechanism for patients to respond to the providers, whether that's a hospital, a physician, or even a company. Outstanding. Colin, I mentioned healthcare leader. Tell us about HCLDR and what you do and what the group is all about. Absolutely. HCLDR is a passion project of mine. It's something we started four years ago now, and it just started as a forum where a group of us could get together and talk about healthcare leadership issues. At the time, on Twitter and on other social media, there really wasn't a forum where people could come and talk about leadership issues in healthcare. And when I say leadership, I don't mean just the C-suite. I mean leadership in terms of how do you be a leader when you're a nurse team lead or how do you become a leader if you're an e-patient? Those kinds of things just weren't being discussed. So we started a tweet chat on Twitter and we just started talking about those types of subjects. 
And four years later, we're still growing strong and very, very surprised, frankly, that it has grown to a community the size it has, but just really proud and really grateful for the support we've gotten from the community. We talk about everything from healthcare IT issues to the latest issues around medical errors to how do you even keep good, talented people on your team. We cover a variety of topics. So I think that's sort of one of the nice strengths of the community is that we do cover such a broad range of topics each week. And the group is well known to be the thought leaders in healthcare. So you know if there's a tweet tagged healthcare leader that you should pay attention to it for sure. (laughs) Yeah, we're pretty fortunate to have such a great group of people that get together. Our tweet chat happens every Tuesday at 8.30. That's the small plug I'll give. But Tuesdays at 8.30 Eastern uh, happens every week. And yeah, we have people who are health IT people. We have people who consider themselves to be patient advocates or e-patients. We also have several leaders from healthcare organizations, CEOs, CNOs, CMOs even, who attend the tweet chat. They don't always tweet during the chat, but I know they're listening and they watch the stream. And I've had a lot of people DM me or email me afterwards say, hey, that was a really great chat, even though they didn't tweet anything at all during that session. So it's really fantastic. And it really brings a variety of viewpoints, which, again, I think is one of the strengths of the community is you do get the perspectives from both physicians and nurses and patients and administrators. It's not just one sided. Absolutely. You can include me in the group that's reading those tweets actually after the fact and trying to follow up individually with folks. Most Tuesday nights, I have some sort of sporting event. I have a nine-year-old and I coach whatever team is in season. And Tuesday night seems to be game or practice night every week. And so I hate that I miss it, but I'm able to follow Twitter and go back and look at the recaps and really enjoy what you can learn in just an hour's period of time each week. And you guys do do a fantastic job. Oh, thanks for that, Joe. Yeah, it is great. I do that too, and I'm I'm on the chats. <laughs> I find that I miss things, and because it does go by very very fast, it's a very fast paced tweet chat. That's one of our hallmarks is how fast and how many tweets come out in that one hour. Exactly. I'm always reading the transcripts, and I'm always reading the tweets after the fact just to kind of catch up on what I missed. Good deal, Colin. I wanted to ask you a few healthcare marketing questions. Let's start with this. What are some common mistakes that you're seeing healthcare marketers make today? Good question, Joe. One of the things I see healthcare marketers make a common mistake on is what I call, they base their marketing strategy on hope rather than facts. Um, (laughs) And certainly I think marketers, we are all very optimistic. I think we have to be. But I think you can take that a little bit too far. Let me give you an example. I was recently at a conference where I bumped into somebody that I knew. And they were standing in this lovely 20 by 20 booth. That was a fairly large show, and the 20 by 20 wasn't out of place. But this is a very small company. Only 20 people work at this organization, and their revenues are not that big. And so I had to ask them, why did you go with a 20 by 20 booth? And the answer came back, well, we wanted to have a big presence because we wanted to attract more people to the show. Now, noble, and on the surface, it's a good theory. However, They did almost zero pre-show marketing to attract (laughs) anyone to the booth. They simply thought by having a 20 by 20 booth, people would stop by because of the size, right? And because it's such a large, and it was a nice looking booth, well put together. It was a rental, but you couldn't tell. So it was a nice property, but they weren't getting the traffic that I think they were hoping for. 
And for a small company like that to spend that much money, because that booth easily cost them about $15,000 to have that square footage, not to mention all the cost of renting and staffing it with people, it's a tremendous expense. And they were basing on a hope that people were going to stop by. And I just looked at that and just kind of shook my head and went, that is an example of hopeful marketing gone wrong. Especially when you're a small company, you have limited resources. You really can't afford to be making such a big bet and have it not work out. And so that's one of the biggest things I see, Joe, is people in marketing, especially in healthcare IT marketing, use hope as a justification for large marketing spends. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Uh, Colin, you've just stepped all over one of my biggest nerves. We'll go to hymns or any one of the big shows or even small shows, and you mentioned the price of a booth. Well, if you go to hymns and you have a 20 by 20 booth for five days or four days, and you send, let's say it's a bigger company, 25, 30 people there to hymns, you're going to spend in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And when I look at those companies that spend these hundreds of thousands of dollars, and like you said, they don't do anything ahead of time. They don't tweet ahead of time. They don't put out a couple of blog posts that say what they're going to be featuring. Heck, they could come on our show for free and talk about what they're going to do. But they show up and they hope, like you said, they hope somebody's going to be there or that CIO that they've been wanting to talk to is going to come to their booth. And the real work in a trade show, I think, is that you got to start six or eight months ahead of time figuring out what traffic you want to get, how you entice that traffic, or how you create experiences at the show that gets you to engage with your customer. You don't necessarily have to have a booth to do that. But I think the shows have, it's in the show's best interest to sell booths. So that's what happens is because there's booths, you buy a booth. Yeah, I think especially with hymns, that is a show where you could easily get lost. Having a 20 by 20 booth there is almost nothing. There are so many organizations that have much larger booths and much more significant presence that a 20 by 20 really doesn't mean that much. In fact, I would argue a 20 by 20 is no better than a 10 by 10 at a show the size of hymns. You're just not going to get noticed. So if you are going to make that investment, which for some companies does make sense, you have to realize, yes, you're going to be spending hundreds of thousands, not the 10,000s that it costs you for the booth itself. There's the shipping, there's the staffing, which is probably the most expensive piece is taking your staff away for four days to stand in a booth. And then the logistics of housing and airfare. And it is very expensive to go to shows, especially ones like RSNA and, and HIMS. To make it worthwhile, you have to do so much work ahead of time. You do have to do that pre-show marketing and take it seriously whether that's via email or blog posts, as you said, or do the media thing and get interviewed or get your stories out there. And don't forget about your sales team, too. Get them to call up their prospects and call up their relationships and arrange meetings while they're at the conference. People forget that the sales team can be such a valuable way to wring value from being at a show. It's not just marketing that needs to get involved here. And when you do all those things, then I think you can make a show very valuable. But if you look at shows or conferences in that light, then it almost doesn't matter how big your presence is, right? Because if you're doing all this pre-work and you're doing all of the phone calls to your network to let them know you're going to be there and how you'd love to meet with them while they're there, you almost don't need a 20 by 20 booth. You could be a 10 by 10 and still have that same impact. Instead of meeting at your booth, maybe you meet at the local coffee shop or something or you meet in the halls. But 
you can achieve almost the same impact with less square footage and less logistics and less of the, all the overhead costs of manning a large booth. And that's what I recommend to people, especially when they're starting out, is don't fall into the trap of getting a larger space because you think it's going to attract more people. Actually, what attracts more people is having a compelling message and having something compelling to talk about while at the show. Content is king. And if you spend, I'll say, if you spend a couple of weeks preparing for a show like Hymns, in terms of what content you gather from your partners, from your sales team, from your other staff, from your customers, from your prospects, taking pictures, doing short videos, maybe doing a podcast, you can gather enough content in a week of hymns or RSNA to last you the rest of the year. And I firmly believe that. And it kills me to watch companies spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and not gather content from a great show like Hams or RSNA. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Joe, especially with healthcare, healthcare is one of those industries where a lot of people scratch their heads sometimes and go, why did you spend so much on marketing? Why didn't you pour more money into your product or pour more money into research or that kind of thing? And it's true. Every dollar spent on marketing is a dollar that could have been spent somewhere else. So you don't want to waste the investment. And I look around at hymns and I see the same thing where I see these lovely, amazing 30 by 30 booths and there's no one stopping by. And the sales folks are just standing around. They're not running off to the meeting or they're not going to the sessions and listening and learning or even live tweeting, doing any of those types of things. So it's such a waste of resources. It is very disappointing. And it's not just the big shows. It's the small ones, too. I see a lot of people go to the small shows. And even though there's only a couple hundred or maybe a thousand attendees, you still have to do the same thing. Do that pre-market Take advantage of the fact that you're at the show. Interview your own clients. Get them to do testimonials for you. Take them out to dinner. You can do all those things. But again, a lot of those things aren't dependent on you having a very large booth presence. And that's a strategy that we've deployed or I've deployed pretty successfully. We don't always go for the large booth, even though we're a large company. A lot of times we'll just go with a small booth and we'll just send a lot of people. I'd rather have them meet with people in sessions than have them meet at our booth. There's no real point to meeting at the booth. Right. Well, you mentioned money, and we've been blessed the last seven or eight years with this $38 billion in EHR incentives. But that's drying up or dried up. What can healthcare IT marketers do now that there's no incentives? That is an amazing question, Joe. And it is a big problem for our industry. We were flush with cash over the last five years because people were essentially given free money to go and buy a lot of health IT solutions, namely EHRs. But not just EHRs, other solutions as well as as, as tack-ons and add-ons to that investment. And it, it was a great time. You could see a lot of the spending happening. And, and we really did move the needle forward, in my opinion. But now that those incentives are gone, I think marketers are going to be very challenged. Why? Because I think the euphoria has now come off EHRs. You know, there's a lot of issues with the ones we've implemented. There's a lot of process change that happened so rapidly, people still are having trouble adjusting. So we're entering that trough of disillusionment, I think, that Gartner uses in their hype cycle, where people are now going, yeah, we've spent so much money. We spent millions of dollars implementing these solutions. And really, what have we reaped from it? So I think there's a refocus on value. And I think that's the key for healthcare marketers in these next couple of years is really focusing on a message of, you know what, the dollar you spend with us is going to yield X or Y back to you. It doesn't have to be dollars, 
but it has to have real impact and you have to prove it. I think that's the biggest thing is that people aren't going to believe just a story anymore. They're going to want to see proof and they don't want to see the data. They're going to see case study examples demonstrating exactly what you're making a claim of. And I think that's the biggest difference between sort of today's marketing and the marketing that's happened over the last five years. You know, now that the money is scarcer, we're going to, have to fight for it a little harder. Absolutely. What a great answer. I appreciate that. Let's change gears a little bit and talk about healthcare social media. Should Twitter still have a place in the healthcare IT marketing strategies of companies? Well, I think I'm a little biased, but I certainly hope that Twitter <laughs> has a place in healthcare marketing. I mean, putting aside what will happen to Twitter, because that's a little bit of an unknown right now for the platform <laughs> as to who's going to buy them, whether they're going to survive. But but I'm I'm hoping, and I think they probably will. But yeah, I think Twitter does have a place. Twitter is kind of going through the same hype, if you will, as other social media platforms before it, like Facebook. There was a time where people were just like, oh, I hate Facebook. It's just a bunch of people showing off all the things they can buy, and that's all it's really good for, and yet it's still here. And Twitter does have a reputation for being kind of a nasty place. You know, a lot of celebrities recently have, you know, tweeted out that they're getting off of Twitter because of all the the nasty grams and the comments they get. So it is going through that really rough patch in my mind. But if we use you know, HCLDR as an example, HITSM as another example. There are communities out there where there's such valuable information being shared. There's so much valuable insight, and it's essentially free of charge. Exactly. If you just follow some of these hashtags, there is no better way in my mind to get a pulse of what's happening in the industry without you having to go get on a plane and go to a conference. And if you really want to know what's happening in the e-patient world or what's happening with the latest in genomics, just go on Twitter. It's amazing. It is, and you can jump right in the conversation. It's out there. They're having the conversation, whatever the topic, interoperability, e-patients, value-based healthcare, whatever the topics are, big data, there's experts out there that you can learn from, that you can share with, and you can benefit your brand by being associated with those conversations. It kills me. As I talk to people, they say, well, I don't have time for Twitter. Jeez, I don't have time not to do three or four tweet chats I do a week because I feel like I'm learning so much from all these experts that I would never have time to learn on my own. You're absolutely right, Joe. And again, I'm biased because I love Twitter. It's where I grew up in social media. But I think Twitter is sort of that real-time version of what you read on blogs and articles and other sort of more industry standard publications. If you want something in real time, there's no better place to do it on Twitter. If you're not able to go to a trade show, there is bound to be at least one or two people who are going to be live tweeting some of the sessions and some of the valuable content from these shows. So even if you don't invest yourself in interacting on a platform like Twitter, just following and reading some of the stuff that happens out there will give you as a company a tremendous boost in terms of your healthcare knowledge. And if you're a healthcare insider, there's no better way to learn what's happening in, in and around your area just by looking at what's happening on Twitter. Don't get me wrong. I think blogs and podcasts and video interviews, they all have their place. But there's nothing quite like Twitter for that immediacy and that sort of real-time aspect. And certainly in terms of interaction – there's nothing like it. I've met so many amazing people via Twitter. I've lost count. It's there that you interact with them, and that's where you begin that relationship. So now when I meet them at conferences, it's like meeting an old friend. 
And what a great way to get thought leaders to join and tweet or help you promote something or even ask questions of it. It's fantastic. You mentioned that healthcare leader is kind of a mature community out there that's probably going to stay together, whether Twitter goes away someday or not. But is there still room for people to implement Twitter chats and be successful out there? Um, I think so. But I think like the blog craze that happened a few years ago, I think you have to be very realistic as to what you want to use Twitter for. If I was a company and I was thinking about starting my own tweet chat or my own Twitter community, I'd think twice at this point. I mean, the platform is so mature now. People are a little bit jaded on Twitter. I think you'd be better off partnering with existing Twitter communities and existing tweet chats rather than trying to start your own. Just because there's just so many out there already. There's one for almost every rare disease out there. There's a community around it. There's already a few out there for niche industries like genomics. And there's plenty of out there for things like big data. If I was a big data company, I probably wouldn't start my own tweet chat. I'd probably partner and kind of go, hey, can I either pay a little money or can I support somehow or can I become part of an existing community and become a trusted voice within an existing community as opposed to trying to start one on my own. There's just so much noise out there, Joe, right now. It'd be pretty hard to start one from scratch unless it's for something that's brand new. If there's no other chat out there for some new device or some new mode of therapy, okay, maybe you might want to start your own. But it's a lot of work. I can speak from that for first-hand knowledge. It's a lot of work managing any sort of online community. It's several hours a week. I spend probably about 12, 13 hours a week on HCLDR, and no one pays me for that. That's a lot of time. And so unless you're willing to put that time in, you know, you're better off just kind of partnering with someone who already has a built-in community. Well, and Colin, to your point, these communities take a lot of time. I found that the better communities, the more popular communities are the ones where there are volunteers. I've tried to attend a few that are clearly commercial, and you just can't have the type of conversations. I'm not trying to dissuade someone from that's a commercial, somebody from saying creating a predictive analytics chat, but I think you got to go find the community and have the community want to have the talk rather than some big three-letter name company sponsor the chat and hope that people come and want to talk because most of the thought leaders that I know are going to avoid those kind of tweet chats. They're going to go to the ones that are run by folks like you where people love what they do. They love the healthcare environment. They just want to make it better. And even though there may be some commercial things going through the chat from time to time, the chat is purely for the betterment of healthcare, and everybody knows that when they're participating. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I would agree 100%. If you're a company and you're starting something on social media, whether that's Twitter or Facebook or any of the other platforms, you have an extra hurdle to overcome. Everyone's going to look at you with a little bit of disbelief going, are you doing this for yourself? How are you going to try and monetize this? There's always going to be that sort of nagging feeling that people are reading your tweets or looking at your photographs or looking at your posts. They're always going to think that. And so you have to spend that much more effort establishing the fact that you really are there just for the community. And so it's possible for companies to do that. It takes a lot of work, a lot more than it would for an individual. And one of the best ways to do that is to go, you know what, rather than starting my own thing, I'm going to participate 
in a community that's already out there. And I'm going to actually interact. I'm not just going to spew my PR out at the community. I'm going to actually interact with people. I'm going to engage in questions and answer questions. And through that work, you can establish a very positive reputation for yourself through social media. But it takes effort. And I think starting your own tweet chat or starting your own community right off the bat it kind of has that smell of, well, you're doing this for a commercial reason. And if so, it's really, really hard to establish that kind of trust. Colin, what are the top two or three tips that you would give to a healthcare marketer today? That's a great question. What two or three tips would I give to a healthcare marketer today? Well, first of all, I would definitely look to digital ahead of anything in person or ahead of anything printed. We live in the digital age. As much as I'd love a nice-looking folder or a nice-looking printed piece, I would suggest no one waste their time on that. Focus on your digital efforts first. And focus on digital efforts where you can establish one-to-one relationships. And to me, that's social media is probably the fastest way to do that. You can do it using other methods like email and through your website. But it's those one-to-one relationships with your clients, with thought leaders, and with prospects that's really going to make the difference going forward. I know the things I buy as a marketer, the tools I've purchased, they've all come from people who have somehow managed to establish a relationship with me through an online source. Now, sometimes it's taken years, right? right? So it's not very quick in some cases, but it makes a big difference. I will buy from someone that I know and who I feel knows me as a company or as an individual rather than someone who just happens to send me an offer that week that I happen to be looking. So establishing relationships has always been key for sales and marketing. And I would focus digital efforts on establishing those relationships as sort of tip number one. Tip number two, I think we've covered it a little bit already, Joe, but just really avoid the trap of conferences. And I say avoid the trap. Don't get hung up on booth space, booth size, booth position. Instead, focus a lot more around the things around the show itself, the pre-marketing, the setting up of meetings, the plan of which sessions you're going to go to and meet people and shake their hands and so forth. And you'll probably find that after you do that kind of planning, you'll realize that you'll barely have time to be in your own booth and you won't need a very large one. So that's sort of tip number two. And that's something I know you and I both share in terms of pet peeves where you just don't be wasting your money on those big footprint boots <laughs> if you haven't done your work. Exactly. <laughs> and the last thing I'd say is really don't underestimate who could be a thought leader. I think people are continuously surprised. And this is something I'm proud of doing is anybody can be a thought leader. Yes, there are some people who published three or four books and have number one sellers on Amazon and they're fantastic people and I'd love to have them. But they tend to be a little expensive and they can cost you a lot of money. If you're a small company, if there's someone who's active on social media or someone who just gave a really good talk on the middle of the show floor, go up to them and ask them, hey, would you mind being a part of a webinar series? Would you mind writing an article I really think what you're saying has a lot of value, and I'd love to amplify that message through the channels that you have as a company or you have as an individual. You'd be amazed at the response you get with people that, frankly, maybe not a lot of people have heard of before. But you give them a voice. You give them a chance to amplify their message a little bit. And it's amazing the goodwill that you can generate because it's legitimate. I mean, if you're helping an e-patient highlight a problem that they're seeing with some of the care that they've received, I think that's a great 
way to establish yourself as a thought leader. If there's a up and coming person who's just very vocal about one aspect of a particular area of healthcare, why not get them on a webinar series with you or get them to write a blog series for you? It's amazing. And I think social media allows for that. Whereas before you are kind of just restricted to the people who've written 10 books and been national bestsellers and so forth. So my third tip would be tap into thought leaders that are all around you. Don't be afraid to go with someone who's maybe somewhat lesser known. It really just helps you establish that credibility and that authenticity. Pure gold, Colin. Those three tips are a blog post in and of itself. Thank you so much for that. No worries. That's awesome. Well, we have everybody's attention. I want them to pull up their keyboard. Go out to www.stericyclecommunications.com. Bookmark that site. You'll learn way more than we were able to learn in 30 minutes with Colin today. Keep up with what they're doing. Colin, also, if you could tell us where to find Healthcare Leader and maybe how to contact you, that would be great. Yeah, certainly. So the Healthcare Leader does have a home. That's where we post our blogs and the questions ahead of our chats. And that is www.hcldr.org. And if you go there, you'll see all the old blog posts and some transcripts of our tweet chats, which do happen every Tuesday night, 8.30 Eastern Time, without fail, throughout the year. And on that blog site, you will see the questions ahead of the chat. We publish them usually about a week ahead of the actual tweet chat. We'd love to have you. And on that site, you'll see how to get a hold of us, how you can email us or how you can DM us. Probably DM is the best through Twitter. We respond the fastest through that. And yeah, if you have a great idea and if you want to be a guest on HCLDR, we're always looking for people to come out and be part of the community. We love newcomers, so don't be afraid to come and join. Perfect. Colin, it was so great to have you. Thanks for stopping by, sharing your great wisdom with us today. Thanks for having me, Joe. It was a great pleasure. Absolutely. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Colin Hung, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. 